Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last Best Hope for Trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring three friends stumbling through the wilderness of Season 5. My name is Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, it's been a while since we recorded B- Bad Pod. How you doing? Um, uh, well... These episodes were better than I feared, so that's good. Cool, cool. Yeah, I didn't particularly dislike either of them, like, too much. Oh, I hate... I... If it weren't for Jakar and Lita, I would hate one of these episodes. <laughs> but we'll, Jakar we'll, we'll and Lita, get into that later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. You know, my kid's a goblin. You got a puppy. Yeah. Yeah, I got a puppy. He's a goddamn chaos beast. <laughs> so perfect companion for your son. Yeah. Yeah, literally. Um <laughs> Today, we decided that he needs to spend, like, three days a week in doggy daycare, a couple of hours a week, a day, three days a week, because he's just got so much goddamn energy, and Siri is just like, I can't handle you, dude. <laughs> and she just, like, can't, she just can't with him, and he's just, like, ricocheting off the walls like a goddamn lump of flubber, and <laughs> there, she just can't, and he's, like, chewing on everything. He gets so excited, like, he just can't handle himself and yeah it's just too much he's adorable and i love him but like we need to burn some of that energy off and there's nothing like six hours at doggy daycare to wipe a puppy out for like a solid 48 so that's what we're gonna do good plan good plan yep i'm a responsible pet owner that was supposed to be like earnest but that came across really sarcastic but this is legitimately like yeah a responsible way to handle the situation uh what about you anna how are you doing uh, not bad. I'm getting more ink tomorrow, so that's exciting. Nice. Yeah, we were talking about that. You're gonna you're gonna have some ouchie. Yep, yep. Going well well we'll see we'll see. My artist keeps kind of like chickening out for doing the armpit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm game. And he's like, Are you sure though? Are you sure though? <laughs> yeah. I'd be chicken too. I'm not no sir. Uh, I have a lot of ink planned, but uh, that that is a that's one of the zones that I'm not I feel like I would have to run out of like every other part of my skin before I would I would hit because that feels like that would hurt a fuck ton. Oh, I'm sure. But I mean, it'll look cool. And it that's what's important cool. here. Yeah, clearly. All right. What are we? Uh... Oh, Justin, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I let's see. I going to go see some modern Shakespeare soon, right? Yeah. Um, this Friday. Uh... Listeners, this is you're going to be hearing this like months down the road. So this Friday, I'm going to Hood Slam in Oakland, which is um, a wrestling show that could be described as something like it's a it's like it's got it's a wrestling show that has like more of like a concert feel where you're just like, you know, where whereas like, you know, your typical show is like you're sitting in the auditorium. It's going to be me and like 2000 other people. And I'm going to be touching four people at all times, basically. And I'm not going to worry about what my ass feels like afterwards. Um, <laughs> um, wow. You know, out of context, that clip. That's going to be very, it's it's a very good outtake. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I, so like, and then on Sunday. Um, I'm going to be touching four people at all times. And afterwards, I'm not going to worry about what my ass feels like. <laughs> Because people are going to be bumping into me for like three hours. I'm not going to end. It's just like I've resigned to this fate. Um, then on Sunday, uh, then on Sunday, my sister and I and her partner were going to be watching a pay per view. And then next week, I'm going to be going to another show in South San Francisco. So it's like I am very booked, which I'm very happy about. Um, nice. It does mean, however, that like actual like like there are actual like real people connections that I'm trying to like schedule around this. And I'm like, eh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's like you you this is the person this is the person you decide to live a life with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we what are we talking about tonight? Well, we're covering two episodes. We are covering season, no, not seasons, uh, 
season five episodes 14 and 15 uh meditations on the abyss and darkness ascending um and i've got both of these yeah i don't think we've ever had an episode that we have done one other episode where we covered two episodes and the same person did both episodes and that was war without end (laughs) yeah yeah uh, meanwhile, I I figured that I would just fall on the sword for the linear plot line and just like, just just do it. We'll see if I can hold my snark until the commentary section. Yeah, take us away. <laughs> yeah, so so we've got episode fourteen, Meditations on the Abyss, written by JMS and directed by Mike Vehar. Good old Mike Vehar. We've got two plot lines this time. The first one starts with Delenn attempting to sneak out of bed in the middle of the night. John wakes up and asks her where she is going. Uh, she's she's just going to go to grab some papers from her quarters. Sure, yeah. Instead, she wraps herself up in a cozy blanket and heads to a club in Down Below. She's here to meet Lanier. Uh, she's assigning him a special mission looking into potential Centauri involvement in the attacks on the Alliance shipping lines. She's keeping this from Sheridan, since she thinks that due to Marcus's death, he will veto the mission, That with uh, not wanting to put Lanier in danger. The cover story is that Lanier will be on White Star 27, training for space combat near the Centauri border. Lanier tells Delenn about Morden's prophecy during the Day of the Dead, but neither of them see any reason why Lanier would possibly betray the Rangers. I'm sure that that won't come back to bite us at all. No. Once aboard the White Star, Lanier meets the captain, Enrique Montoya, and learns that the ship has been unofficially renamed the Maria after Montoya's sister. Can can I just, like, real quick, I was so scared this was going to be a Maria, like, the Nita, the Marie, the Nita, the Pita, the Santa Maria thing. <laughs> I was, like, yeah. so worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it wasn't. Um, yeah. Instead, it's named after his dead sister. So, you know, there's that. Lanier also meets another trainee named Findel. His first training mission with Findel is to launch in fighters and scout, night, scout an area. Once they get outside, the two discover that their ships actually only have about an hour or so of air left. At that point, the White Star jumps away, leaving them stranded. Lanier suggests that they both meditate to conserve air and stay where they are so that they'll be easily found. Findel starts to panic as they near the one hour mark and starts moving away, but the White Star arrives to rescue them. This was all part of their training and Lanier followed the correct procedure. Their next mission is a Easter egg hunt in an asteroid field. There are 39 hidden targets and each of the four trainees must find and destroy 10 of them. In case you were looking at the math there, Findel is convinced that he will be the one to fail, and Lanier tries to reassure him. Once they're outside, Lanier is in the lead, but Findel doesn't destroy any targets. Instead, he cuts off comms and heads straight for an asteroid. Luckily, Lanier realizes this in time, shoots Findel's engine, and rams his ship to prevent the collision with the asteroid. Once they're back on board, Montoya publicly scolds Lanier for firing on a fellow trainee and then ramming his ship and reassigns Findel to ranger recruitment. Off the record, he commends Lanier for saving Findel's life. Back on B5, we see a friendly, familiar face. It's Veer! <laughs> With Lando's return to the station, Veer goes on a like pandemic shopping-worthy grocery spree, including a bag that Lando discovers contains a drowsy bug. Londo hams it up for the recorder and claims to have banged the Drazi ambassador's wife, along with, you know, many other people, presumably, then destroys the bug. He has news for Veer as well. Veer will be the new ambassador to B5 once Londo becomes emperor. Jakar, Delenn, Sheridan, and the Drazi ambassador meet in Sheridan's office. The Drazi continue to be concerned about the attacks on their ships, and Delenn asks for them to be patient just a little while longer while the Alliance follows up on leads and gets evidence. The Drazi ambassador goes on to imply that the Centauri are behind the attacks, and that the others are covering this up due to the Centauri's role in the Alliance. Right on cue, Londo shows up to warn everyone present that someone very stupid tried to bug his quarters. He continues to imply that he's fucked the Drazi ambassador's wife and leaves. Veer is angry about the bug and confronts the shopkeeper, 
who is very unconcerned about this because everybody knows that Veer is a softie. Um, and he tells Veer exactly that. Veer then returns, carrying Londo's sword, and demolishes the merchant's stall before he's restrained by security. Londo is very proud. Jakar gets a bit of ongoing plot as well. Franklin installs his new prosthetic eye, the correct color this time, and expresses interest in joining one of Jakar's meetings with his followers. At the meeting, Franklin hangs back and listens while Jakar tries to explain the nature of truth, God, life, the universe, and everything, at least as he perceives it. And that's an episode. Where to go with this episode? Uh, yeah. Okay, I have some, I have some thoughts on this episode. But first, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, about McBarries? Well, let, let's start with McBarries. Uh, Veer says, when 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 confronted with Veer's shopping, Londo inquires what the fuck Veer has been eating if he <laughs> has all this shopping. And Veer tells him that he's been doing nothing but eating McBarries. And Londo says, how? you you Our biology cannot handle this food. And he's like, yes, I know, but it tastes so good going down, not so much coming back up. And he like does the golden arches symbol. Oh yeah, yes, no. it's when it's it's transparently he's transparently. It's, it's, it's like it's golden bone ridges. Is this yes. is the sign? Is the sign? And it's like, is it Minbari McDonald? Oh yeah, is yeah. Uh, okay, I have so many questions. First of all, <laughs> the whole idea of Minbari fast food boggles my mind. Uh, second, it implies that. McDonald's is some sort of universal constant that crops up in every civilization. I mean, or it could just be that McDonald's, like, in, in the aggressive capitalism of the 23rd century. Franchised into the Minbari? Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. That was I my assumption. That. I hate that even more than the idea of McDonald's being a universal constant. And, I hate both and of the those thing options. of, like, and the thing where McDonald's will have, like, specialized menus for wherever yeah. it is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, here on B5, it'd be, you know, it's it's McBarry's instead, yeah. uh, I, because I that's like, cute. So, and they've got, like, deep-fried flarin or something. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I want, I want a Big Mac. I want a, I want a Spoo Big Mac. Or, <laughs> or, like, a double Spoo Quarter Pounder. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, just the idea that Veer has been eating this food and then promptly, like, yarfing it back up. <laughs> Because it his biology can't handle it. It's so fucking wild, but it's so veer. I mean, like, as somebody who like does not like cooking for one person as a single person, like you know, I eat out a lot, and you know, some days you oh, just oh, I get eating out. I get eating out. I mean, it's sometimes the, you got to do the. Sometimes you're just like, I'm doing the walk of shame. It's the closest thing to me. It's the consistently eating something that makes you sick oh. that I struggle with. Um, I mean, you willingly eat Taco Bell, so. Yes, which does not agree with me uh, at all. So, uh, fair point. <laughs> I mean. Um, uh... <laughs> Zathra's going to attest to uh, some hot mic incidents that we won't talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, okay. Um, I also want to talk about Veer going just absolutely ham so... on that on that vendor i it's so do you know that meme it's of peach and daisy where peach is like uh, like leading in like with psycho eyes at uh, mm-hmm. uh like Daisy's leading in with psycho eyes peach is like aren't you tired of being nice don't you ever want to just go ape shit and that is veer in the scene and i love it for him <laughs> yeah yeah it's very good but it's very like it's just very like whoa and then Londo's reaction of like, my boy, he's he's all grown up now. Yeah, he's, he's so done proud. his first violence. Yeah, he's com- he's committed he's committed his first misdemeanor. <laughs> you know, aside from smuggling uh, Narns during the war, but it wasn't a misdemeanor. That was you know treason. Uh, oh, and he also killed an emperor. Wow. Yeah, he kind of did his crimes backwards, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Good for Veer. Mm-hmm. Um, Good boy. Good boy. I also, uh, still on the the Centauri stuff, the absolute goddamn audacity of Londo trying to dunk on the Drazi 
by slut-shaming his wife when the Centauri are literally a race of, I don't even know what the right word is, hedonistic Yeah, but whores? here's the thing. I mean, they'll just fuck anything. Yeah. Here's the thing. They are they are proud of that. The Drazi are probably like like probably like sheltered weird fucks about it. <laughs> I guess it just it just feels weird to me that like psychologically that's where he would go to try and embarrass someone. He's not embarrassing like, them. He's trying to make them mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, like cuz I think even in Centauri culture like fucking someone else's wife like without be- there being like a prearranged, you know, negotiation there presumably. Yes, it is legitimately he's just saying I fuck my wife better th- I fuck your wife better than you do. That is what he is yeah. saying here. And that it's like and it's great. Yes. It just to me it just read very weird that like that was where he went with that. It just didn't feel like a Centauri thing to do. Like Minbari. Man, can you imagine a Minbari saying that that would be a big swing but i think that minbari would be like that wouldn't even read as an insult to them it, like yeah it would be too weird but yeah i don't know the centaur it just felt a little bit off i mean me. they're they're a hedonistic culture and like it's the drazi the drazi are just weird claws like weird sheltered people who just like you know yeah like to play with flags What are the Drazi? The thing about the Drazi is we know like nothing about them except for the the except for the the purple and green. Yeah, they don't even use that's almost all we know about. They don't even do the fun kind of flagging. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, I I think it's really a thing of like Londo just being like, hey, hey, I fucked your wife. (laughs) It's it's like it is the most 12-year-old thing and it works. Hey, in case in case you forgot, in the last five hours, I fucked your wife. It's like it shouldn't yeah. be this funny to me, but it is. Yeah. It's just like it's two ambassadors, and it's just like, hey, yeah, hey, it's and, very juvenile. Yeah, yeah. Delenn apparently lost all ability for subterfuge when she turned human because she spent years being like a secret member of the Grey Council and plotting the downfall of the shadows. And then she turned human, married married uh, Sheridan, and now she's got all of the subtlety of, I don't know, she just sucks <laughs> in this scene. She's like trying to be like sneaky about sneaking out. And even Sheridan, who's got like all the, all the empathy of like two rocks, for most of the time is like even he's picking up on this being a dodgy lie like i don't know where what's going on in this scene that whole scene feels weird and then she gets down to down below and there's this like weird random rapey guy oh god it's so disturbing the whole intro i feel like i just want to just just not can we just not do any can we just cut to delenn and lanier chatting in down below yeah. Or could we just not? Could we just take <laughs> out the whole plot line? The whole plot line with Lanier? Could we do that? That would be cool too. Yeah. I don't know why. Okay, okay, I do know why. But the whole Lanier is a ranger plot line, not into. I'm curious what Justin's take on it is though. So here's my thing. I get like the idea behind it of like, oh, we want to have Lanier do a, we want to have Lanier do a heel turn. You know, despite the fact that we're like, quickly running out of space to do it in Mm -hmm. so in the last eight episodes of the the last nine episodes of the season uh, okay we're gonna stick them on a ranger training ship and it's like oh hey like you know it gives it lets you it lets it lets them do stuff because nobody's none of the cast can jump on a white star anymore to go out and like do mission shit because they've removed all of those people from the cast yeah yeah so like you know okay it works okay that's about what i expected like i i I think the thing is like i'm thoroughly like i i find the actual ranger stuff to be like i like the i like the dynamic between montoya and lanier however findar or whatever his name is is the, is the most Jon Snow motherfucker to, like... <laughs> That's really good. He's, like, he's got Kit Harrington's dumb, like, 
on on it face behind <laughs> like that Minbari, like behind yeah. that Minbari makeup. That's really good. Yeah. I, I like some of his interactions with, with Lanier early in the episode where he's like, I'm where um, Fidel is like, I'm so confused. And Lanier is just like, humans be like that, bro. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. So what I'm taking from this is. I like you. I like parts you, of that. You, you're actually watching it for what it is. And I'm hating it for where well, this storyline is going. Yeah I, yeah. I don't know where this is going to go. I can only imagine like how it's going to end. And, you know, it's like James is trying to set up a villain turn here. But I'm not getting any good reasons for it beyond get beyond beyond like. Mm-hmm. Here's my summary of this plot line for you. You know that meme from Mad Men where the guy steps. I've never seen Mad Men, so forgive me if I don't use names. The guy steps onto the elevator, and he and the other guy is and he says, I guess he says something like, "How's it going?" And the other guy who looks very badly like cosmetic to look fat and bald goes, "Not great, Bob." That's my summary. Oh, I thought it was. I thought. I thought it was going to be the one of like, I hate you. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> also, could apply. Yeah, because that's what it would feel like if, if like, if like, if like theoretically Lanier betrays them, like, and there's a showdown between like Lanier and Sheridan. It would be, I hate you. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, either way, it's, that's my summary of how I feel about this plot line. It's, it's, it's just not great, Bob. It's it's um, I don't know. It, it's just like I like there are parts of it I'm enjoying. And overall, I'm just like, mm, it's it's happening. Um, we're running yeah. out. We're, we're running out of runway here, John. Um, do you want to do you want to maybe start taking off the plane? Like, you, yeah, I don't know. You could pull <laughs> back on the stick a little bit. The only thing part of this episode I genuinely enjoyed, besides Veer going ham on that food cart, whatever thing, uh, is Jakar, because he's just blessed. His little, like, sermon thing is very good. You can tell when JMS is in his groove, when he's writing the characters he, like, he likes, and the characters that he knows, and, and, like, the, he's in the, like, the the well-worn tracks that he's that he knows how to work in because when he writes Jakar in this episode and then Jakar and Lita in the next episode, it just clicks. Like the chemistry's there, the dialogue's there, the storylines feel okay. But then when he writes this horse banana hockey horse shit uh, with Lanier, you're just like, man, what, what happened? Did you run out of Coke? Like what's going on? And that that scene with um with Jakar and his followers, I really enjoyed that scene too. Um, especially like getting to see more of Jakar's philosophy, like that, and seeing how like his evolving relationship with this role that he's in, especially since like he's kind of frustrated by his followers, and it comes out in that scene. Yeah, he thinks they're kind of dumb, which I appreciate. Yeah, because like. One of them asks him, you know, what is what is truth and what is God? And Jakar's like, you don't want to fucking ask that, buddy. Like, you don't want to know that the answer to that. And he's like, oh, but I but I do. And like Jakar has this like really eloquent speech about like, you know, the light on the wall and like, you know, searching and it's it's great. And then you just see like the the speech bubble that just says dot 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 over the followers' heads, yeah, and th- they're like, but but what is truth and what is God? And Jakar is just like, truth is a river. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> God yeah. is the mouth of the river. Now fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, it's not quite like it's not quite that bad, but he's just he's clearly kind of frustrated that like they aren't actually getting it. Yeah, well, and they're they're looking for like religious platitudes and they're not actually and they're not getting the message he's trying to send right away right now. Yeah. But he's trying. Bless him. Okay, I do want to say I absolutely like the the only part of this episode that I truly, 
truly hated was the scene or was the shot of Franklin pulling out Jakar's eye. Oh, I, Jesus. Yeah. I was like, what? What fucking ripped you to decide? Like the, 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 when they put it back <laughs> in, they use like a regular shot of what are they like? They, they, they have it like they have it. So like it's a side shot. So you can't see it going in because it's on the like they're looking at it from the far yeah. side. Mm-hmm. And that is. That's fine, but like the actual like the togs going in, and but I'm just like, like, no, no, you fucking monster, Vahar. What the fuck? Yeah, the, yeah. There is a cho- they made a choice there and committed to it, arguably <laughs> a little too hard with the with the oh, eye yeah. stuff. It's genuinely disturbing. <laughs> I know at least two people that I game with that routinely put eyeball stuff. In their hey, in, uh, that's me. In their lines and veils, yeah, you're one of them. <laughs> it's the other one is re, hi re. Um, it's like you know, it's like it's that and needles, that and needles. Those yeah. are the two things I just cannot. And you know, uh, you know, if we're gonna talk about needles yeah. later tonight in another episode of a recording, fuck. <laughs> yeah, a eyeball thing is super common. I'm thinking now, and I'm thinking like. Of all the people I've gamed at cons with, and it's, I can, I'm actually thinking of like, like a lot of people actually. Yeah, I also hate come up eyeball with. stuff. Yeah, you've mentioned it. It's, I mean, it's, 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 yeah. a, it is, it is a, it's a, it is a, it is a common, it's a common fear because like shit down to your eye is like, and part of it is like your eye is super sensitive and. It's one of the yeah. like only places in your body that has like an instinctive reaction to not touch it. Yeah. All right. This is probably enough eye talk. I think. Uh, yeah. I think if we talk yeah. about this anymore, we're gonna have to throw a content warning on the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've 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 recursed into ourselves with this one. I'm, I'm just gonna check here real quick because I'm like, did uh, now nah, Rich Richard Niguez has not done anything. Uh, who plays Montoya has not done anything of note. So we're, 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 he's not an I know that face. He does like I, I I do like like I do like it when somebody like has a little bit has like you know pronounces their yeah. act like you know doesn't have just a doesn't have a straight Southern Californian accent. Um, yeah. So that that's nice. Yeah. I I like him. He, he's um, nice. And. He's fine. And Findel also, like, his little quip about the captain's philosophy of, like, that, you know, he doesn't believe in impertinent questions because you only get pertinent answers from impertinent questions. Um, yeah. Which was cute. Yeah. The, my, my favorite part of this episode, though, is when Franklin's like, well, why is it on page blah, blah, blah of the Book of Jakar? Why is there always a circular stain? And you can just see Jakar's like eyes start twitching and like its temples start throbbing at this. I do think it is very interesting. Like 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 the, the reason for it is very interesting, is that Yeah, yeah. It's it's like both fascinating and hilarious. Yeah, that that Narn religious texts have to be copied exactly. As they as they were originally written down to any imperfections in the paper, which I find interesting, but also doesn't like okay, but what, like what about digital mediums or like blind accessible texts? Yeah, it kind of leaves accessibility behind, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, this is one of those don't worry about it. I'm, you know, uh, like yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like I choose not to think about it too much because. You know, but it's just like it's a thing of like that's interesting. I wonder, you know, yeah, is or is there like when you get to the when you get to the sentence where that stain starts, it says at like you know editors, you know, you know translators now. There's a co- large coffee stain, <laughs> yeah, on page eighty eight. Yeah, I yeah. just like I think uh, that'd be interesting. Author's note: Fuck you, Garibaldi. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Garibaldi's coffee stain? Yeah, it is Garibaldi's yes, coffee yes. stain. And Garibaldi claims that it's the best part of the book. We're going to yeah. talk about Garibaldi in a second here. And uh, I have some thoughts about Garibaldi and his choice of beverages. Yeah. All right. Speaking speaking of Garibaldi, do we want to talk about Darkness Ascending? Go for it. All right. Um, written by JMS, uh, Kel Surprise. 
and directed by Janet Greek this time. So I'm going to partition this. Is she a new director? No, she's directed a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think she's been around since like season one. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to partition this one up too. And let's just get the Garibaldi plot over with first. And then we can like forget it until it's a discussion time. Um, so we Good open plan. the episode with a look into Garibaldi's dreams. They are precisely as disturbing as you'd expect from Garibaldi. A battered version of himself observes a wrecked station with dead command staff, and another version of him with a very large gun is doing the killing. He awakes to find Lena staring at him with creepy white eyes, uh, glowy, etc., telling him that she's just testing her limits and this is all a dream. And he shouldn't. <laughs> That's he, so he w- funny. Shouldn't remember this. So funny. And then he wakes up again, uh, only to have somebody enter his room. Uh, not Lita, but Lise. Apparently, apparently, Baldi told her that he'd he'd only be on the station a few weeks, and then he stopped answering his phone. Very mature, Garibaldi. They ugh, bang, <laughs> and after a shower, um, which you know seems probably necessary, Lise finds yeah. Baldi's secret liquor stash and is understandably upset about it. She confronts him and he gets defensive, saying that he's in control this time, not the booze. Uh, but he agrees not to drink while she's on the station. Later, they go out to dinner and Baldi snaps at a pushy waiter who wants to know if if Sir would like something to drink and won't take coffee for an answer. And once the coffee arrives, Baldi sneaks booze into it from a flask. The waiter, of course, catches him and promises to bring Sir the special coffee for the rest of the night. Once shit starts hitting the fan for the rest of the plot, Garibaldi insists that least leave and return to Mars as quickly as possible since they're on the brink of war with the Centauri. So Lita also actually gets some plot in this episode. Yeah, she gets some plot. Just, not just weird glowy <laughs> eyes and Garibaldi's head. So as as indicated by her appearance in Baldi's dreams, she's been experimenting more with her powers. She's also been building on Byron's vision. She's pitching an idea to a human businessman. Long-range explorer ships staffed with telepaths who could make first contacts very smoothly and efficiently. Uh, and if they find a suitable uninhabited planet, colony rights for the telepaths. The businessman refuses, citing insurance liability. And Lita gets another idea. She schedules a meeting with Jakar. At their appointment, <laughs> Lita reminds Jakar and the viewers about the deal he offered back in The Gathering, access to her DNA with the goal of breeding Narn telepaths. They flirt quite a bit and work out the details of the potential deal. Lots of money and at least five long-range starships in exchange for DNA from not just, not just Lita, but hundreds of human teeps. Jakar consults with his government, and they meet again later. They will agree to Lita's terms with one additional stipulation, that Lita and the other telepaths spy on the other ambassadors on behalf of the Narn. Lita is not willing to do that, and the deal is off. Except surprise! That was just a test to see if Jakar could actually trust her. They've got a deal, um, although the episode does not conclusively show us whether they fuck or not. I could not, could not disagree with you more. I think the flirting in that first scene very conclusively determines whether or not the the con- the conception of those telepaths is done naturally as opposed to, uh, you know, medically or however it is that they phrase it. Well, uh, let let's move on with the plot and discuss that afterward, though. So the, the main plot continues with Lanier's adventures on the Centauri border. He reports on his progress to Dulen, but Sheridan happens to walk by and catch part of their conversation and realize that something's up. Lanier has decoded part of the radar transmissions and has a plan for locating their base. Before he and Montoya can test it out, though, the Maria is recalled on direct order of Sheridan. Dylan and John argue over this. He's angry that she hid Lanier's mission from him, while she's upset that he recalled the Maria. Dylan also reminds Sheridan that Lanier is, in fact, the right person for this mission, based off of his skills and experience, and that they can't just keep him benched in order to keep him safe. Uh, speaking of keeping Lanier safe, 
they get a message from Montoya in order to test his theory. And since the White Star has been recalled, Lanier has instead taken a fighter out into hyperspace and is missing. Lanier meditates to conserve his air and sets off to investigate the lead. It pans out, though. A Centauri ship appears and Lanier activates stealth mode on his fighter and latches onto it, Remora-like, to replenish his air supply and hitch a ride. Back on B5, Sheridan and Delenn are both worried about Lanier, since even with the meditating, he should have been out, he should be out of air by now. Londo is also alarmed. The other ambassadors have all canceled their meetings with him, and a message from Homeworld warns him that Sheridan may be fabricating evidence to implicate the Centauri in the attacks. Lanier continues to stay with the Centauri ship, which joins up with an attack group. He starts recording when they jump to normal space and destroy a convoy, then disconnects and hides in the debris while broadcasting a distress signal. Then Maria picks him up and heads back to B5, uh, giving Sheridan and Delenn the proof that they need to expose the Centauri attacks. There will be a closed Alliance Council meeting tomorrow to review the evidence. Veer informs Londo about the scheduled meeting. Everyone's invited except for them. And that's uh, the episode. We're gonna send your we're gonna send your declaration of war in the mail. <laughs> I just had a thing while listening to you give this summary. I just realized why Lanier's meditate to conserve oxygen thing feels so uh, like cheap and cheeky to me. It's heir to the empire. It reminds me of heir to the empire. <laughs> it's Luke meditating in his uh, going into a force trance in his X wing to make long hyperspace jumps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know the timeline on what came I, first but it can, feels also, that's what it reminds me of I'm gonna drop a hot take here go for it I think I'm I think I'm at a point where I actually enjoy JMS more than Timothy Zott's writing so <laughs> wow that is a spicy take even season 5 JMS I mean I mean, maybe not season five JMS all the time, but um, I've definitely gotten more enjoyment out of B5 than I've gotten out of the last however many Thrawn books. <laughs> Sorry, I just did this because I want to have like, I want to have like 20, like, I want to have like one day of heat that I can imagine that we would get from, me, from us being a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> oh, God. You know. A hot Star Wars take forty eight minutes into forty eight minutes into recording this. So you you're saying we won't be doing like the Mandalorian after this, or Book of Boba Fett, unless we were going into such a specific like segment of like Star Wars bullshit that nobody could care about it. I would never want to do Star Wars content. Okay. Yeah. What would that corner be? Because I mean, for me, it would have to be like it, I mean, it, force nerpery, like for philosophical force nerpery. I mean, it would probably be something like Tales of the Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The day I find people to do a fucking Tales of the Jedi podcast with me, I will fucking drop everything and do that podcast. <laughs> but boy, the only thing harder than finding people to make that podcast with would be finding people to fucking listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Cause I don't even get fucking likes when I tweet about the goddamn thing, much less people to listen to an hour long podcast about it. I mean, it's all on Marvel unlimited now with, uh, that's, I mean, you know, well, we'll, we'll, we'll start the revolution. We will, uh, we'll, we'll do bad pot, but for, but for tales of the Jedi. Anyways, let's it's talk. It's so good. Tata is the best Jedi that's ever existed. Let's talk about this actual episode. Um, <laughs> I was giving me a look right now. This look of just like, dude, so rain it in. The the <laughs> the, the scene in Garibaldi's nightmare where the table vores him. Oh my god! Yes, I was like, I I just immediately put my notes. I know three people whose fetish is this. <laughs> It's like a weird, like, vital absorption vor thing, and it's just so specific. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, Chekhov's me meditative state, right? Yeah, you know, we're, yeah. we're going to introduce that one episode ago, and, you know, we'll, we'll bring that back. Yeah, I, I don't have anything on the linear plotline here. I really don't. I I don't care about it. 
It's fine. Yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't offend me. It's fine. It progresses the plot. We're we're not to any egregious portions of the plot line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sheridan and Delenn arguing about like putting Lanier in danger, like whatever. Garibaldi. Yeah. Wow. Uh. Okay. I have a couple thoughts. I love that Lita Alexander chooses. Unless she's fucking around with like everybody in their dreams <laughs> and we just happen to see Garibaldi. But I like to think that she's like, hmm, who here is such a piece of shit <laughs> that I can fuck, fuck around with their head and be morally clean well, for, for having done it? And the first name that comes to mind is Michael Garibaldi. I have another theory on that. Which is that she's, which is that he was having that dream anyway, <laughs> and she was just observing and is like trying to figure out like exactly what Bester did to him. Interesting, I, mean, I guess. I I kind of like the idea that she didn't make him have that nightmare, but like he just every night dreams about killing all of his friends and getting bored by a table. I'm I'm, I'm on board with that. I can dig that because if there was. Any man who deserved to have nightmares every night about getting forward by a table, it's Michael Garibaldi. Agreed. I would prefer not to ever think about the least plot line again. I don't like her in the previous episodes. I don't like her in this episode. Uh, I don't understand anything about why she cares at all about Garibaldi. Uh, I don't like uh, them giving him a romantic subplot. That is not Franklin. Oh, all of it. 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 I don't like. Um, it's yeah. just, I mean, and I mean, and I think and we've talked about this before, but just compared to like the, 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 the Stims plot line in season three, it just feels so ham fisted. Yeah. Comparatively. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting plot line in the sense of like, you know, Showing that different people have different responses to, like, addiction. Like, Franklin has, like, relatively become, like, he's gotten, he's stayed on the wagon, he's developed healthy habits, and he's, like, mm -hmm. generally pretty great guy now. Um, I, Well, let's not go too far. I mean, I think he's, I honestly think that, like, every time he's gotten, like, a character spotlight in season five, he's been one of my faves. Yeah. I mean, even even just like the little bits where we've had him, like when he you know was there to observe Jakar's spiritual meeting, but he's he's just there to observe. He's not casting judgment. He's not interacting yeah. with it. He's just there to all, listen. Yeah. All bits aside, uh, Franklin is is perfectly fine in this season. Yeah. I, I I find him thoroughly unobjectionable, which in and of itself I sort of hate because uh. nobody uh, nobody hates giving up a bit like I do, but. The world's um, tiniest violin plays for you, Jude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, meanwhile, Garibaldi is, you know, an, an addict who relapses hard. And, and believe me, I, I sympathize with that mm. plot line. I think the thing that... It feels like a way to, to write him off the show instead of having an actual end. Here's my problem with his, with, with his mm -hmm. plot line. Relapse sucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard enough. And they make him, they make him a real asshole about it, and not in a way that's like, in a really cliche TV way <laughs> that I'm not. That is ham fisted. It's just the word for it. It's lazy. Yeah. It's 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 he he's not like, it's it's like you know there's there's a, there's a way you write the story where he relapses because he is hurting and. Like that he like he's gone through some serious trauma and hasn't done anything to cope with it and like relapses because of that. And, you know, yeah. he might be an asshole, but he, like you can see sympathy in it. But none of that is being done here. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just Garibaldi, the asshole who now also drinks and is an asshole about that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I feel like the relapse storyline absolutely plays it as Garibaldi's relapse being a moral failing of his yeah i which i really dislike coming from a family of like you know there there is you know medical 
indicators that can lean people towards addiction. And that runs in our family. And we have some people, you know, I've got some people in my family with who have struggled with addiction. And it's just like playing that as a moral failing is just the it's it's certainly a writing choice. Yeah. And and it's and it's so jarring in the context of having Franklin's addiction plotline being handled so well. Yeah. Yeah. It, like I said, it's just lazy. Yeah, it it really feels like a way that it is. This is what's so baffling about season five is that that is clearly so they can write Garibaldi off the show and put him on a put him on a boat to Mars or wherever at yeah. the end of it. But meanwhile, there's other stuff that is acting like we're going to get three more seasons of this shit. Yeah, you know what it is. I think I get the sense that JMS doesn't like the actor anymore. And is not investing effort into storylines. Like he's got a he's got a deal with Garibaldi, but you can I, like, and I have nothing to back this up. It just like, it just occurred to me that like I wonder if part of this is like he can't be fucked to write hard for Garibaldi the way he can for Londo and Veer and Jakar because he or Lita because he likes those actors and he's in, he's. He's like emotionally invested in them having well-written stories as opposed to Garibaldi where he has a plot line he needs to move with Garibaldi's character, but he's not like clicked in with the actor. Yeah. Especially when we know that the actor was a kind of an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't want to read anything to that because I think that's playing too, like too much into it, but it's just like it, you know, it feels like that this is that they're, I mean, there are parts of the show that feel like okay, we're tying the, we're tying this off with a bow to send it on its way, and there are other parts that it's like we're gearing up for season six and like you yeah. know building on stories here. And I get that he was trying to like build out like spinoffs and stuff, but it's still it's I yeah. yeah agreed totally agreed. And well, I think I think part of it would be you know I think that what you're saying with sunsetting Garibaldi actually makes sense in the context of spinoffs because then you could say, oh, well, Garibaldi's done. Yeah. Like, we sunsetted that character and we could follow, you know, some other character into a spinoff, but nope, not not Garibaldi. We we killed him. Or, you yeah. know, not killed, yeah. but and we, we put that one to bed. And if, yeah. It's, yeah. and if it's literally like, okay, I, this is the thing of like, when Garibaldi is at his lowest, here comes a woman to pick him up. And I mean... We've seen at least like three times on the show. Any any character deserves better. Yeah, and she has such bad taste in men. My God, I mean, I, as somebody who has had some awful taste in men, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. But my my God, Lisa. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, do we want to talk about? I want to talk about Lita. Yeah, yeah. I would say let's move on to the fun part of this episode, which is Lita. I have a question about that. Is there any reason why, like, the telepaths could not just, like, emigrate to the Darn? I think that's essentially the short-term solution that's being proposed. And that, like, long-term, they're looking for, they're looking a place that they can call their own. Like partly, partly, if I were the telepaths, I'd be looking at it and being like, well, are the Centauri gonna just you know, Annex mass us. driver us again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if the Centauri were not a thing, I'm like, the easiest solution to this would be the Narn saying, like, you know, there we found colonies that have been severely depopulated or whatever, you know, there's probably infrastructure there. We can, you know, it assist you with it. It just feels like, like, especially for 200 people, that's like, you know, it, it's the Narn feel like, yeah, the Narn and the telepath feel like a very good, like, match that's why i really love this pair up yeah like yeah jakar and lita feel like such a natural team up because these are both people who have gone from the downtrodden to picking up the mantle of leadership who can understand each other for that reason and who are are empowered kind of against their will (laughs) and i i just love the two of them together that scene where Lita proposes this deal, and the two of them are just straight up planning to fuck is fantastic. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's so good. It's so good when she's leaving and she, Jakar, uh, when she's leaving and she says, you know, oh, and for the record, you know, I recently found out I don't have pleasure limits. And Jakar is just like, he's doing like the collar pull. He's just like, hello. <laughs> it's so good. And it's it's interesting, too, because like it's actually it's calling back to what's a pretty gross scene. Like, yeah, if I, you know, anytime that I reluctantly watch The Gathering, that scene is super cringy. Like, Justin, you can probably find it on YouTube or just watch that clip or something. It's really bad because Jakar comes across as like a gross perv in that scene. And this is turning that on its head. And it somehow makes the like somehow their flirting does not actually feel transactional in this that like it could very easily feel like Lita's like well and if you agree to this deal I will fuck you no yeah it, it, it it's it's very much you get the sense that like we're like the 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 interaction they have in the scene is like if there were not like 200 other people involved in this it would still make sense for them to be flirting and be down and, and down to fuck yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I and that's what I was saying about them may, being like a really good like ship, like a, yeah. a, a good team up, but like a and also a good ship. Like it makes total sense that these two would be DTF, and the fact that it also like that their goals, sort of like their organizational goals, also line up is just convenient. And you know, do you know what this good. is? Jakar is the first like human or, or the first person on this fucking show that fucking respects Lita. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. And, he the, does. and like, I mean, compared to like how fucking Zach treats her, like Jakar is basically like put like is worshiping her like a God <laughs> comparatively. Yeah. <laughs> he treats her like a normal human. Like a, like a person, the whole conversation, the flirt with her is very much not – it's just one-to-one. It's just two people talking. Yeah. It's not it, – the fact that she's a telepath is like the fact that he's an ambassador. It's just a fact of, of mm-hmm. their conversation. And then when it comes down to like proving her, her ethics, like he's more interested in her moral fiber than he is in her telepathy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like – and he values that about her. He values her integrity as opposed to her usefulness to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that is so yeah. balls out fucking backwards for Lita. She must have just, I mean, that must have been felt like being fucking thrown out into space and discovering that it's jello out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, such a, that's so suspicious. That's so weird. <laughs> so specific. I love that. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it is truly like, I mean, it is, I mean, it like, at the end of it, their relationship is transactional, but it is, but it, it, it's Jakar at basically every step of this is like, I want to make sure that you're getting a good deal out of this and that we're not using you, which honestly is just like, God, Jakar has like, I, I like, and somehow manages to do this well flirting. Yeah, no, no. Jakar like saying like, like you know doing these like things and like and like the respect he shows for Lena is honestly even sexier than like any of the flirting. And it's good flirting. Yeah, yeah. it's good flirting. I think it's some of the best flirting this show has seen since Marcus told Ivanova a traditional Mimbari greeting, and yeah. also when Marcus. Well, made- that was like romantic flirting and then like goofball flirting this is just straight up like eye fucking in this scene the two of them are like you get the sense that if she didn't have like another meeting in a half an hour that that episode would have gone a real different (laughs) direction i i also another thing i like about the scene is that it feels like you know as they progress through the flirting it feels like they're kind of each kind of feeling out the other person's comfort like yeah you know it's 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 kind of you know naturally builds as it yeah. goes it definitely feels like two people who are recognizing they have shared goals that can work together and some of those goals involve banging yeah 
business and banging together. What good lines. Um, uh, the, the, this is about as internal an affair as I can think of. God. <laughs> My God. There's so much, so much like good slash bad innuendo in that scene. I, I fucking love it. Uh, the other one I really love is, what, what is it? The um, I accept your proposition. Which part? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, this uh, this part like skyrocketed for me. Okay, this episode exists too. I love this. Yeah. Um, yeah. This I think the other thing that needs to be recognized is the actors in this scene. Oh, they're, so, they're having such fun with it. I love it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Andres Kotzelis just he's just it's again, it's such a testament to how fucking good he is. His charisma even underneath all that latex is just, it's like a goddamn solar flare. He's just, it's just pouring out of this scene. And uh, what's her name? Uh, Patricia Tallman is just, you can tell she's having so much fun in the scene with him. Yeah. And the two of them are just. This this episode, it it makes me more so than like, even some of the other stuff that we've seen with Lita, like it really makes me wish that she had been handled better and it had more of a role because she's a great character and Tallman is a, does a really good job with her when she's given material to work with. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, it's like this scene is like we could have had that like the this level of interaction yeah. mm-hmm. from the beginning. Because, you know, she's, like, fun and she's snarky and, like, yeah. you know, ha- put her up against Ivanova and have them snark at each other for 45 minutes. I would watch that. Oh, God, that would have been a whole, like, the shit there. Yeah. I mean, Seriously. Let, let, oh, my God. Let Lita and Ivanova be bitchy exes at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, forget, forget, uh... Sheridan and Lockley, I want I want like horrendous X energy coming off Ivanova and Tallman. Or, yeah. Oh my god. Uh, Ivanova or, or, or Ivanova and Lita. Gosh. Yeah. It it turns out that uh uh what's her name was not the first telepath that Ivanova <laughs> I, got into bed. I think it would be very funny. Like, okay, this is just like it would be very funny if Ivanova just dated if if Ivanova, like despite her own hangups and everything, just kept dating telepaths. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be really funny. Oh um, man! Well, well, you know, you know, Justin, you know what it's like when two telepaths oh. make love. <laughs> I'm turning off my computer right now. <laughs> um, oh, I've pr- I've practiced that line so much, way too much. Um. Do we have anything else we want to talk about? No, let's just end it on this. I, high well, note. I, I wanted to talk about one last thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, which is again on Lita. This this episode also really emphasizes for me how pointless Byron was. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. Because like here Lita is, and she's baller at figuring out like peaceful solutions to this issue. That like you know. Byron might have given her the idea of, you know, establishing a telepath colony and given her, you know, the like network that he had established. But past that, like he's freaking useless. And yeah. here she is like, I mean, she's she's going to like a freaking business and being like, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's make a deal here. Like we can go and crew your ships. Just like if yeah. if we see a suitable world, let us have it." Yeah, and you know that Byron wouldn't have banged Jakar. <laughs> on that note um I, I i do want to put it is that the um it is the official it is the official uh stance of the ba- uh babylon project that jakar eats box <laughs> uh, of course he does all right um next time we are going to be covering episodes 16 and 17 and all my dreams torn asunder and movements and fire and shadow y'all we have four more episodes of B5 that we're going to cover. Until next time, be seeing ya! The Babylon Project is an independent production 
All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. Recording. I all all my bits are my favorite. That came out different. <laughs> um.